Barbados was amazing. The people were great. Everybody we met was so friendly and so nice and so welcoming. They were very helpful and they really did whatever they could to like help support us. And it was, it really meant a lot. It was great. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, explorers and creatives, welcome back to Blue Ass Water where you'll hear tales of creative expression, tropical exploration, from the talented and passionate guests of the show. I'm your host, Emac, and as always, if you enjoy this episode, share it with someone who you think will enjoy it as well. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Music and like it on YouTube. This week on Blue Ass Water, we're very lucky to be joined by the talented, Emmy Award-winning cinematographer who shot 13 Super Bowls with NFL Films, has filmed docuseries like Hard Knocks and Black 14, and he mans the B-cam on Netflix's Outer Banks. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Lyons. Matt, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm great. Great, thanks for having me on. Appreciate uh, it. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm stoked to have you on and get into this. For our beautiful Blue Ass Water family, Matt, would you share a little bit about who you are, what you do, and where you're based? I live in New York City. I live in Brooklyn with my wife and my daughter. And for the most part, I like, I'm a family man and I just like to hang out with my family and be around them as much as I can and be part of the community that I live in. But then I also work professionally and try to get on more jobs and work as much as I can. Yeah, I like to think of myself as a cinematographer for the most part, but I'm trying to kind of transition a little bit more into uh, narrative operating um, on features or television shows and uh, just trying to get better and better as I go and just keep progressing and just uh, have jobs that are just challenging but rewarding at the same time. That's a great thing to look for. Uh, part of what I'm kind of, as I'm discovering, you know, what I want to really get into creatively, um, whether that, you know, photography and video wise, I'm uh, realizing that I kind of want to put an emphasis on kind of environmental projects. And not only I get things out of uh, creatively, but also like I feel good about the project I'm working on just from like a, being a part of that team, like the mission of the project overall, those are the type of things that I'd, I'd love to do more of in the future. Um, so yeah, Absolutely. I can relate, uh, like the community impact you talk about. I totally yeah, yeah, understand yeah. that. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way. I want to, I want to work on projects that really can tell a good story and hopefully impact society in a positive way too. You know, it's yeah. really important to me. So it, it, two birds, yeah. one stone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Although for a while you found a home in the world of sport, you have worked on a variety of projects from sport to beauty, to travel, to community, like you discussed, where do you tend to get inspiration from? Um, I mean, inspiration can come from anywhere. It's like, for me, a lot, a lot of it comes from nature and just like what I see out in the natural environment, you know? Um, but it's also just in the city that I live in where I can, you know, it can be just people moving around the density of the city can be really exciting to me sometimes the way people interact with each other can be really exciting and, and influential um but then it also obviously comes from movies films photographs uh music you know more you know art-centric things like that too so many listeners of this podcast are trying to break into the industry or myself included whether it's photo or video or a different industry like real estate or healthcare. How did you get in the, your foot in the door as a videographer and editor at uh, Lafayette Hill Studios and then later on at, at NFL Films? Yeah, so I went to uh, study video production at the Art Institute of Philadelphia. And um, 
I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with it. You know, like when I originally went to college, I thought I was going to do more of like audio recording, music production, that kind of thing, uh, studio recording type stuff. And then I started shooting and just kind of fell in love with it and realized that, you know, you're, you're in a different world, basically, when you're shooting, you're, you're, you're seeing the world differently than you are if you're just, say, like in the room. Um, so I really fell in love with shooting. And then I got lucky in the sense that there was an internship available at Lafayette Hill Studios. And I applied for it. I got the internship. Um, luckily, you know, they really, they liked me. They liked my work ethic, which I, you know, I worked hard at that time and I still do, I would say, but you know, so, um, but like, so I would shoot a lot for them, which was great that they trusted me right away. And they gave me a camera to shoot like second angles on some weddings and uh, corporate interviews and things like that. And I was like, you know, really grateful that they were able to like, just trust in me and so I shot a lot right away within the first six months of being there. Um, and I just loved it. And I was editing as well. So that was, that was helpful in the sense that I was able to get an understanding of what you should be looking for when you're shooting, you know, because if you're editing your own material, you really can see what you have, what you don't have, you know, and seeing shots that you're missing or, you know, something that could be better by doing it slightly differently. So, um, yeah, so I, I got to do the, those things there. And then from there, I just kind of like met more people, built my contacts, started doing some freelancing. And in that process is when I met, you know, became friendly with somebody that worked at NFL Films in the equipment department. And he hired me on as just a part-time basis uh, to be kind of like the prep tech, just to kind of help out. And when I took the job, I knew I wasn't going to be shooting for a couple of years, you know, because NFL Films has you know, pretty uh, rigid, rigid standards of like shooting for them. So I knew that it was going to take some time and it was going to like almost go back from what I was doing. Cause at the time I was already starting to shoot some TV shows and things like that, mostly like reality and stuff. So taking the job, I, I, I wasn't going to be shooting right away, but I knew that it was going to eventually be a, a better, stronger thing to do. So I took the job and, you know, just learned as much as I could from everybody there, which was a ton because there's some really great talented people there. And then I just just worked hard and just did everything they asked of me um, and then eventually started shooting. And then, you know, just one thing led to another and to another. It's but yeah, cool. it's like always about being open minded to it and um, and not really like keeping doors closed in the sense of. You know, just because I wasn't going to be shooting right away at NFL Films, I knew it was a good opportunity. I knew it would lead to better things in the long run. Um, so you just kind of have to be open to things like that and, and you know, just see where it takes you. That's great advice. I uh, appreciate that. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, um, you know, when you're shooting, thinking like an editor, kind of. And mm -hmm. that was one of the best pieces of advice I received in college at Flagler. Um, whether you're shooting or directing, um, you know, luckily I kind of started as an editor. I started shooting little skate edits with my friends in the neighborhood when I was yeah. growing up on my iPod touch, uh, and then editing it on iMovie on the iPod touch as well. Uh, but some of my classmates, you know, were strictly shooters or they wanted to strictly direct, uh, which is sweet. But, um, I, I was glad that I kind of had that foundation of editing from the start. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so when he said, you know, think like an editor when you shoot sometimes uh i instantly gravitate like i could relate to what he was saying um because it, it just made sense to me if you're just shooting 
to shoot and, you know, kind of cover everything. Sometimes it can, it can be hard when you pass it on to an editor for them to understand like, okay, what's the story in this? You know, you don't want to give the editor all the work necessarily. Be selective with your shots and go ahead and tell mm -hmm. the story in the shooting so the editor has even less of, less of a job to do. Let's quickly touch on the local 600 International Cinematographers Guild. What is it and how do you join? Uh, basically, it's a union that is there to uh, look out for its workers and to protect us from, um, you know, harsh working environments, uh, keeps, in theory, keep things regulated as far as uh, schedules, uh, payment, and it's either, you know, there's minimum amount, amount of payment that you can get for doing jobs. And it's just a, it's a good organization that just kind of looks out for each other. And we're all there together. It's um, just there to help make films and tv shows and it's just uh, nice to know that you have like some support that's a little bit higher up than you you know that it's more of a like it just kind of like amplifies your voice a little bit you know that if you do need some support there are people out there that can help that's super important uh oh, it's, I, it's huge in this industry where everybody's yeah. just kind of doing it for themselves and you know sometimes productions can take advantage of people and you know they can lowball and you know get people to work you know, crazy hours and not pay them a fair wage, you know? So the union is just something that's there to like kind of help protect that and, and to try to stop that as much as possible. It's funny it, when I was in school, we, we touched, I remember like learning about unions and um, we touched on it a little bit. And at the time I, you know, was very interested in shooting and editing uh, a little directing as well, but I, you know, any, any talk about like uh, numbers or, or yeah. words i just organization yeah and, exactly yeah, i kind of yeah, uh, yeah. tuned out a little bit sure and, that makes sense. and i wish kind of i had it uh but i'm learning a bit more about it now and uh the importance of it and and just even even contracts and stuff like that yeah. uh better now than later i suppose no absolutely and the, you know the, the more you know about it the better and it's it's nice because most of these big productions, whether the TV feature, commercial, music videos that are union, they, they, they hire the right amount of people to, to get the job done, you know? So like as an operator or DP or an assistant, you, you have the support that you need, you know, like, so on Outer Banks, I have two, two assistants that are there to help me. And those positions are crucial, you know, like they're, they're absolutely necessary to do what kind of work we do. It's, it doesn't work to just go out there and lug the camera around all the time. You know, it's just like you need the help. And it's nice to know that it's out there. It's great. So what are some things those assistants are helping you with on the daily? So um, our second AC is the person that does the slating. They're the one that's keeping track of all the uh, the, the media. They're pulling the cards out. If they're full, they're, they're, they're on top of batteries. They're grabbing uh, little accessories and bits of gear that are needed that can be changed, you know, lenses, things like that. And then the first AC is, and so the second AC has like a huge responsibility. They're constantly working because they're, after they're slating, they're taking notes about what that take is. And they're, they have to really pay attention to how many takes we do of a shot. And then they give that information to the script supervisor who can just kind of make sense of what's been shot, what hasn't been shot, that kind of thing. So second AC has a big responsibility. Um, very, very and they have to make sure that their information on the slate is correct. You know, the, the take number's right, the, the roll number's right, and the scene number and all that kind of stuff. It's like very important just so that everything later on from the editor's standpoint can be like mashed up correctly. You know, otherwise yeah. it, it can get a little messy. 
Uh, and then again, like you just said, it's, it'd be more work for the editors at that point to like have to sort through things. And then the first AC is responsible for kind of the mechanics of the camera to make sure everything's up and running um, properly. If there's any issues with the camera, they're the, the first ones to really look at it and kind of like make sense of what the problems are or what could be done. And then they're also the ones that are uh, pulling focus for you. So they're the ones focusing your lens for you. So they have a monitor that has a remote, uh, sorry, like a wireless video feed from your camera and they have their own monitor and they have a knob that can control the focus. And that's a huge responsibility too, just cause. Yeah. Everything. If it's not a focus, it doesn't look so good. You know? like <laughs> exactly. You have to have it sharp all the time. So yeah. those two positions are, are, you know, very important. And then on, we also have a dolly grip. Um, each camera has a dolly grip and that's the person that is kind of, if you're on a show that has a dolly, they're the ones that are in charge of the dolly. They're the ones pushing the dolly, moving it around from A to B. Um, and then when it's not a, and then so for like a handheld show, like Outer Banks, they're there to support you in any way they can, whether that's like, uh, say I need to be rigged up to a, like some kind of like secure post because I'm like not hanging off of something, but I'm in a position that could be like a little precarious or say the camera, we're shooting over a dock or something over water, the camera will be rigged up with some straps so it won't fall. And that's the Dolly Grips uh, responsibility. And they're there if I'm walking around, walking backwards, up or downstairs, they're there to protect me, keep an eye on me, make sure that I'm not going to trip and fall. Um, and then as soon as the take is over, after we're done the shot, they're there to grab the camera from me to just like, you know, give me a break for a few minutes. And then as soon as we're ready to roll again, they just like throw it back on my shoulder. So there's three, so like, yeah, like every camera uh, position would have like three people, three support people with them. If first AC, second AC and a dolly grip. You're the quarterback and they're your linemen. Exactly. More, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, in a way. Your home base, New York City, actually is one of a few truly global cities bringing together many cultures and lifestyles. But aside from the Big Apple, where is your favorite place that you've ever visited? I, I've been to London a few times for work, which is great. I love it there. Um, I've gotten to go to Taiwan a few times, which is, I love Taipei, the capital of Taiwan. It's just an amazing place. Uh, I love the food, the, the look of the place, the feel, the way the people are and the way they interact. And it's just, it has a very laid back atmosphere, atmosphere but it's like very, uh, it, it seems a little overwhelming because it's fast paced and it's a lot of people moving around quickly and it's very dense. But you're but used to that. Like, yeah, I'm kind of used to that. But it's like over there, it's like, but it's like very laid back in some really weird way. And I don't, I haven't been to too many places in the world that are like that, that have that combination of just total come as you are type laid back attitude combined with like hyper speed of a big, big city, you know? Yeah. So that place, I, I love Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan's just great. The people are amazing. It's, I, I love it there. So that's neat. Wow. Yeah. That's sweet. So for Outer Banks, you got to go to Barbados and film there, didn't you? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, how was that? Barbados was amazing. The people were great. Um, everybody we met was so friendly and so nice and so welcoming. You know, we were like a little bit, at least for me personally, was a little bit like hesitant uh, in the sense that we're bringing this huge production down. This is like at the height of COVID scares. It was like in February and March of 2021. So things were still you know, very serious. And they're an island that has to 
keep their people safe. They can't really let the virus come onto the islands because it's like, you know, it could really overwhelm things very quickly. So I felt funny and I felt like, you know, we are being there in a sense of like, uh, are we going to be welcomed or, or are we just going to be seen as like this, this potential threat, you know, with given the virus and everything, but everybody was like extremely welcoming and they were all very friendly and they loved us being there. They were very helpful and they really did whatever they could to like help support us. And it was, it really meant a lot. It was great. And then on top of it, you mean like natural beauty, it's just out of control. It's like so beautiful <laughs> there. And it's, you know, the ocean's amazing. The, 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 the lush jungles are amazing. The, the sugar fields look amazing and great beaches, great food. Yeah. It's awesome. It's great. How did some of that natural environment impact some of the types of shots or angles or even focal lengths that you might decide to use? Um, we, I mean, we, I think with Outer Banks, we always try to keep in mind of like showing the place, you know, like we always want to like have a sense of place. And like, I think that Jonas, the, the director created the show has done a good job and really doing that. And I think, you know, I don't think it really, we didn't really change our approach too much. You know, we, we didn't, we didn't talk that much about it. It was kind of like, let's just make it look like we're in Barbados. We wanted it to look like we were in Barbados. We didn't want to look like we were in some field in Charleston trying to cheat it <laughs> like we were in the Bahamas or something or in the, or in the Caribbean somewhere, you know? So um, we wanted it to, to look, have a, as much look and feel as the real place as we, we could. So we just kind of kept the same approach for the most part. You know, we didn't change things that much. Was there a similar mindset when it came to the, uh, spoiler, the Charleston homecoming episode where, you know, the whole season is supposed to be in the Outer Banks and sure. supposed to look like that. Yeah. 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 But then now the Charleston episode, I think y'all did a pretty decent job at a pretty good job at yeah, making right. it look different from the rest of the Outer Banks. And now you're yeah. in Charleston and it's all the same city at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. That's kind of, it's one of those things like, you know, um, the audience only really knows what you show them, you know? Mm. And if we're shooting in Charleston, but pointed the opposite way of the buildings or whatever, you know, like you can kind of create this, like this other world, you know, this like this idea that wherever we are, it's, it's, or wherever we're showing you is where we are, you know? Yeah. So Charleston, yeah, we, we wanted to show the old historic district and everything. Cause that like really says Charleston, you know? Exactly. Um, so yeah. So that's where all those scenes took place. And luckily the city was on board for us doing like car chase scenes. <laughs> that was wild. Which is crazy because, uh, you know, I think it's a very protected area just for oh, the yeah. historic part of it. So we, you know, we were lucky and very grateful to them that they let us do that because it's asking a lot to say like, hey, can we have two cars whipping around corners at 50 <laughs> miles an hour, like in this, you know, 300 year old neighborhoods or whatever. Exactly. You know, and, you know, yeah. all those homes in that area um, have very strict regulations on uh, building requirements and stuff. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. if you even try to paint the door a different color, there may be, uh, you know, people coming at you saying, no, you can't paint it blue. It has to stay brown or this or that. And so the potential of yeah, an exactly. accident happening and a corner of a building getting nicked, uh, you know, that that it's is crazy. heavy. I know. I know. Everybody was great. Like we had a lot of neighbors and locals come out and check out what we were doing. And these are people we were like set up right in front of their house. And I was kind of like, oh, sorry, we're only gonna be here a minute. We don't want to disturb you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're like, no, this is cool. We don't get to see this this often, you know? So it was nice. It was nice that everybody was a welcoming and open and 
to it. So, yeah, my brother, he's in seventh grade, going into seventh grade. Actually, today's his first day of school. Um, shout uh-huh. out Owen. <laughs> but uh, so when we watched it together, uh, the Charleston um, chase scene specifically, like you mentioned, the audience only knows what you show them. And so he was seeing uh, yeah. familiar locations. But then in his own mind, sure. since he knows them, he's like, wait, that doesn't really add up. And I'm like, listen, from a the film perspective, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, they refer yeah. to uh, like um, East Bay as King Street and different idiosyncrasies like that, you know, from a film perspective, a story perspective, it works better this way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit fake, but nobody knows. It's fine. Exactly. And I mean, the, yeah, it, skewing reality makes it more interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. As the uh, B camera op, Matt, were you focused on capturing mostly close-ups, B-roll, wide shots, and establishers, or did it vary with the other, the A camera and potential C camera guys? Yeah, it varied depending on the scene. Um, I, I mean, I, I did all of the above. You know, yeah. sometimes it would be, you know, for the most part on scenes that I would cover close-ups, but so would the A camera operator as well. Sometimes we would cross shoot. So like one camera over one person's shoulder for the close up, you know, across from them. And it was a little bit of both. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, you know, we shoot, there was a lot of scenes where the uh, bow, the camera operator would just cover the scene for the most part. Like anytime we would have John B, you know, like where John B's like kind of like walking around the space or like, especially in for the first season, we did it a lot where, um, you wanted to be like in John B's world. So like Bell would really shoot it in a way that like you're in his head and you're seeing that space and getting a feel for what their world is like, you know? Yeah. A lot of the tone or the mood in Outer Banks can be seen through the lighting, whether it's warm and romantic or cool and mysterious. Mm-hmm. How do you particularly work with lighting in a scene and, you know, try and illuminate subjects with the way your camera's angled or? Well, first off, let me just say, I don't have really anything to do with lighting in Outer Banks. That's um, the job of our amazing DP, Gonzalo Amat and and Brad Smith, who just do like a fantastic job. Um, uh, And so, but that being said, I would always try to keep it looking as nice as I could and not, and not, uh, take away from their lighting, you know, like we would never want to front light anybody. Um, we wouldn't want harsh shadows across people's faces, things like that. So it would always try to, and you wouldn't want to like put somebody's face like right in front of a, a crazy bright highlight or something like that, you know, where it's like blown out sky behind them. So uh, it, that being said, I try to like always keep in mind what the, what the source lighting is kind of what the motivation of that lighting is from the DP, from the gaffer, Jamie Baglio, who's also an amazing, great, talented person. Um, but I would, yeah, so it's like always trying to like show angles that would complement what what they're doing, you know, like, and mm-hmm. and still fit the mood of everything. Sounds like the team was just all around killer. Oh, they're great. Yeah. And we, we move fast. We all get along. Um, we all know what to do. And it's just like, it's, it had, you know, season one, like we picked up at season two, kind of right where we left off season one, you know, it was all the same people, all the same crew. So our first day back on season two really kind of felt like some kind of, it was also, we had the whole, like uh, a long time away with pandemic stuff. So for six months, most people didn't do anything anyway. So like, it really felt like we were just a couple weeks after we were left off on season yeah. one, it was really weird. 
Interesting. But we just like yeah, we like hit the hit the ground running. You know, we just kind of like took right off, and yeah, it's it's, it's a great team. It's great people. It's it's always good working with a good team. It, you oh, know, yeah. when when you've got a sour apple, it can really spoil the the whole experience sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. While filming shows like Hard Knocks or even the Super Bowl, aside from weather conditions are fairly pre you know predetermined. Um, like you can't out of your control, but on a scripted show like Outer Banks or some of the commercial work you've worked with, you worked on, you may have the opportunity for purposeful additions like rain or fire sure. uh, or, or just like stunt effects and stuff like that. Uh, how, do, how do things like that allow you to get more creative shots when you know what to expect going into it? Well, yeah, it's like the same as the way, you know, um, bad weather can make a documentary look like, you know, sports, like shooting for the NFL or something like in the rain or in the snow, it's just going to look better. It's going to be more of a pain in the ass to shoot in, <laughs> but you know, it's going to look better just because it's, it's, it, it gives it a real look, you know, it's like, it's, it's not just sun or gray skies. It's like, it's, it's real elements that are coming down. So I think that can be applied in you know narrative work too you know when we shoot those scenes we want it to look real like real rain real wind you know we don't want to if we're if we're trying to do a stunt not a stunt but like a special effect with rain or wind or something like that we want to see it we don't want to have it up there but it's not hitting the person right or it's kind of like off in the background kind of weird we, and the special effects guys are great about making sure that they're checking my angle and they're seeing what I, what I'm looking at and they're saying, Oh, that rain looks a little weird over there. Let's try to, and you know, to, it takes them two or three minutes and they make an adjustment and then it's all good. But like little tweaks like that can really help sell the products, you know, it can really help mm. sell the idea that it, 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 again, it's like, it's creating this, like uh, this sense of realism, you know, that I think the audience really wants to be into and see, they want to buy into it. The, the more you can, do that the better you know and take the time with that so yeah i haven't had the opportunity to work with fake rain or pyro yeah. yet but i've worked with smoke before like fog and i mean even that is just okay. something simple that adds a whole new depth to a shot absolutely it really does it, it just adds atmosphere it's great i love shooting with with fog and yeah smoke it just looks so great a lot of the filming like you mentioned is handheld run and gun but in some of your commercial work and other other things you've shot, there's more of a uh, variety and mix between static and dynamic, right? Sure. Um, some locked off shots. So what factors might help you determine whether you want to be handheld running gun or whether you want to lock it off and be very static? I think it depends on the script and what what the product what the project is and what it kind of requires, you know a very dramatic scene handheld doesn't always work sometimes, but if you want the audience to feel like you're really part of it and really get in there, then like it can work. And if it just feels more visceral when it's, when it's, what's moving, but you know, when it's controlled, locked off stuff, it's usually really good acting, really good scripts where it's just like all the focus is just right on those people, you know, and there's not much else to be distracted by. Like, you know, sometimes handheld could, could be a little distracting if it's used too much. Right. Um, but it's it can be really effective when it's like paired with like slow controlled shots. So like it's a scene of two people talking in a room and it's tension is building up and it's, uh, you know, all locked off a nice controlled movement or something like that, like a dolly. And then all of a sudden it starts to get more handheld and they start to get like worked up and it really kind of like helps sell that idea. You know, it brings, it can bring tension pretty easily. 
So I think it depends on whatever the whatever the script requires, whether it's commercial, music video, and then documentary too. You know, sometimes locked off stuff in documentaries is like really effective because mm-hmm. it just really makes the audience focus on what they're seeing on screen. I know some photographers or videographers that specifically chase certain moments uh, that help kind of define their style, whether it is like a close up on the subject's eyes and they consistently try and get that with every project they work on or uh, feet walking towards the impending event. Uh, Do you have a specific like shot that you like to capture with every shoot that really excites you? No, but I kind of, whenever I have to shoot uh, a little bit of nature or like a little bit of trees, I kind of get carried away. Like I love to see (laughs) I like to be looking up at the sun through some leaves and just the wind kind of like blow. So I, I usually, whenever I shoot, if they, somebody needs me to shoot B-roll of like a little bit of nature type stuff, I usually like, I overdo it. I, you know, <laughs> slow-mo and then like all kinds of stuff. So yeah, it's more, yeah, I think that's, if there was one like vice type shot that I have, it's it's more, more like trees, nature. I was going to say, it's a good guilty pleasure. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. But yeah, no, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. As you say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I do kind of have that. (laughs) I'm glad I helped you realize. Yeah, I know. If you could only shoot one subject for the rest of time, one subject or one event, uh, you know, one theme, what might you pick? Nature? Yeah, maybe not nature. I would get pretty tired of it, actually. Like, <laughs> I love to shoot it and love to like go out and shoot it for 10 minutes or an hour or something, but I don't think I could do it day in, day out. I love shooting football because you never know what you're going to get. You know, like, I mean, as, as far as like shooting goes, you, you should know what you're going to get, but in the sense of you don't know what's going to happen, you know, and that's mm-hmm. always exciting. Um, that just seems too limiting just to stick to one thing. I would, I don't know. I, I know. I like, to, I like to shoot everything. It's, yeah, I don't know. I don't have one thing that I could do for the rest of my life. It seems too, I just would, I would have too to bland. change careers or something. I would have <laughs> to do something entirely different. Yeah. No worries. I, I can, I can understand that hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, what might be the best advice you've ever received? I remember my old boss at Lafayette Hill Studios, um, Mike Brand, told me early on, I, I was Zooming a lot, you know, I was shooting weddings and I was trying to get creative or something or like trying to like do things a little bit differently. And he told me that like, you know, Zooms always need to have some motivation. You know, they, they, they imply something when you do them, you know, whether it's building tension or relieving tension or whatever it is, you know, like whatever the story is. So don't just do it just to do it. Uh, always think about the mood, like, and it's not just zooming. It's like, you know, it can be for camera movement too, you know, um, have motivation behind what you're doing a little bit. And even if it's hitting you as you're doing it, that's fine. But like, make sure you know what you're doing in the sense that there sh- it should be motivated, you know, cause it does imply something when you, when you do certain kinds of moves or zooms or something like that. So that was really good advice that I kind of, I th- it's funny, but I think about it like all the time when I'm shooting. I still think about him saying that to me. I'm just like, oh, yeah, don't just do it just to do it. You know, it's got to be motivated. Yeah, it's got to have a purpose. Yeah. It's just like in Outer Banks, when you do a lot of handheld shots, it's not because you're lazy. It's to yeah. convey that, you know, up close and personal action packed environment. Yeah, it's, it's putting the viewer right there with the with the, with the subjects, you know, Matt. To wrap things up, where can people find your work and follow your journey? I have a website, lions.camera, pretty easy to find. And then uh, my Instagram page, MT Lions. You can find stuff. I 
posted there somewhat regularly, not that regularly. Um, but I, I put some, you know, stuff I'm working on a little bit up there. And then um, there's some past work of mine on my website as well. And there's a list of things I've done and all that kind of stuff. So sweet. Yeah. I checked yeah. out your website. Great work. Great oh, work. Great. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Anything else you'd like to plug or anything you have coming up exciting to share? No, but uh, yeah, I'm glad that people are out there watching Outer Banks. It's a great, it was a great experience working on those two seasons. And I'm, I'm just, it's really nice to see that there, that we have such a big audience. It's really great. You know, the amount of viewers you have isn't everything for any sort of art, but mm -hmm. uh, it's always nice to, to know that, you know, there are X amount of people watching the work that I've made. Yeah, it's great. No, I mean, it's, it's a great feeling and it, and it's not just me that did it. It's everybody. And we have, a, you know, like we said, it's this huge team that, that came together to put the show together. And it's it's great that it's like, you know, being seen by a lot of folks out there. It's nice. Oh, yeah. yeah. Matt, appreciate your time. Truly. Thank you for coming on Blue Ass Water. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. What's up, y'all? Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Blue Ass Water with cinematographer Matt Lyons. Go ahead and check out the rest of his work on his website, like he mentioned lions.camera.com i believe and drop this video a like share it with someone leave it a five-star review like i said though most importantly share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well uh maybe they don't listen to podcasts maybe they will now uh but yeah i mean that wraps it up i'm ethan have a great day peace